Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. As we gather here this morning, we're continuing our series. This is the final week of a four-week series that we've been thinking about what it is uh, to be new in the new year. Obviously, uh, we're surrounded and bombarded at this time of year uh, with all sorts of uh, promises and things that we can do uh, and resolutions we can make that will help us live better and more happy lives But as we've been thinking about uh, those things and the things that society at large tells us uh, make for a good and happy uh, life, we've also noticed, haven't we, that actually the scriptures are calling us to something much different, uh, much more radical. Whereas we saw in the first week, society calls us to uh, uh, ever more self-focus in order to be happy, the scriptures call us to in fact, ignore ourselves and instead focus on the Lord Jesus. Uh, we saw in the, the, the week after that how uh, that not only do we have this new purpose, but we also have uh, a, motiva- new, a new motivation. Uh, that in uh, Christ, uh, we are now motivated not by being happy or having the good life, but we are motivated instead by what Jesus has done for us and by the fact that as he saved us, he's gathered us into community and so we are to help one another live as Christians. And then last week we saw that we are to have different expectations. We saw, didn't we, how that expectations we have matter. Uh, Often that's the problem with New Year's resolutions is we have unrealistic expectations. And so following Jesus... Uh, it's important that we don't have unrealistic expectations. And we see that Jesus actually tells us in Luke's Gospel that we ought to expect to have a life like his, one where the world rejects us uh, and where we're persecuted and, as Jesus was, ultimately crucified. But we saw there's hope, didn't we? We saw that after, after persecution comes glory. And today... We think about what the point of all this is anyway. Why do we live? What's, what, what is the point of your life? And as we consider that, I, I wanted to reflect on something that perhaps you've already devoured, which is uh, the latest series on Netflix starring Marie Kondo. Uh, no doubt you've uh, seen all the... Uh, posts written about it, you've read the articles about how our op shops are now overflowing with excess uh, stock because everyone's getting in on the KonMari method. I mean, it's quite bizarre, isn't it, to think that uh, cleaning up, which is essentially what she promotes, uh, would go viral and and everyone would, like, get into cleaning up for a little while. But that's essentially what's happened. Like, uh, cleaning up has become cool. Uh, And she's got this whole method of how you clean up. uh, And I'll quote from her website. She says, You keep only those things that speak to the heart and discard items that no longer spark joy. 
you thank them for their service and then you let them go. And by let them go, I don't think she means you sort of shuffle them on and wish them well into a new life. I think she means you put them in the bin or you, or you give them to an op shop. Uh, and so she says, the purpose of your things is to give you joy. So when you pick up your clothes, and, and there's a method that you're meant to go through your house, when you pick up your clothes, uh, you go, do I get joy when I put this shirt on? Yes, I'll keep it. No, it goes. You, you thank it for its service. Uh, and then you let it go. Uh, and on and on you go through your house until you've got this kind of uh, more minimalist existence. And there's a lot that's good uh, to be said about this, isn't it? In a world where we consume far too much uh, and we're obsessed with always getting something new to make us happy, uh, uh, there's a lot that is good to be said about it. But of course, it's also very interesting to think about as well because the very heart of this method is that your stuff is to give you joy, and if it doesn't give you joy, you don't keep it. And of course, this actually speaks, I think, more broadly to the deep desires uh, of, of, of most people in the world today, which is the desire to be happy. That the goal of life is to be happy, and, and what Marie uh, Kondo says is, having too much stuff is robbing you of happiness and you need to get rid of it and only keep what brings you joy. And this is one of the roads that you can take into personal fulfilment and personal happiness. And so I think we see see in this and in many other ways, time and time again, we're told that as long as you don't hurt anyone else, the the best way to live is to seek personal happiness or, or what we might call joy over and above everything else. That's the mantra of our society today. If you, if, you just can, if you can just be happy, then everything else will be okay. And it's interesting when you think about this, if that is, in fact, what it means to live a successful life in 2019, according to the world standards, that we simply need to be happy. Well, how are we going with that? And what's interesting is... Uh, as you look at some of the statistics, it seems we're actually going badly. In, in fact, very badly. In, the Australian Bureau of Statistics tells us that 3 million Australians currently experiencing some form of anxiety or depression and that most will at some point in their life. We know that the rates of suicide have skyrocketed. And that 3,000 people in 2017, more than in the year before... uh, Sorry, 3,000 people in 2017 took their lives. It's the highest recorded rate in the past 10 years. And, of course, we also know that some of the people who we think must be the happiest, the rich, the famous, the successful, are, are plagued by the same problems all of us are as well. Robbed of joy, desperately unhappy, wondering why, when they're meant to have it all, they feel like they still have nothing. Be happy, our world says, and yet there's a big, big problem. And of course, as Christians, we might not be all too surprised by this. For what the Bible makes clear is that when we start to put ourselves at the centre of our realities and make ourselves the centre of what matters, 
and the centre of our purposeful being, we are in fact carrying on the great sin of Adam and Eve. You remember in the Genesis story in chapters 1 and 2, God creates a good world, perfect, wonderful, where human beings walk with God and obey him and uh, live under his rule and uh, act as his stewards of the earth. And then in chapter 3, they essentially make the error of our day. As they're going about things, they decide maybe we actually could be happy living some other way. They look at that beautiful fruit hanging from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they think, well, I know God says I shouldn't do this, but I actually think it's going to make me happy. I'm believing the lies of the, of the serpent and I, I think this is going to turn, make life turn out better for me. Uh, uh, they effectively say, what would God know anyway? And of course, when you say you know better than God and when you decide that his ways are not going to be your ways, you're moving yourself into his place. You become a glorifier of self instead of a glorifier of God. And when you choose your own glory instead of God's, it always ends badly. For Adam and Eve, who decide they know best, that they want to do things their way, they're kicked out of the garden. They're forced to live in a land cursed by sin. Their children uh, uh, go to war with one another, one murdering the other. They feel the consequences of self-glorification in very real ways. And Jesus warns too, for each of us, that there are consequences in ignoring him and his glory. In Matthew 25, uh, we read uh, in, from verses 31, uh, this statement by Jesus about what it means to have rejected his glory and chosen your own. Jesus says that when he returns in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to the eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus says he's going to come back and there will be judgment for those who've chosen self-glorification instead of focusing their lives on making God glorified. We know that living a life of self-glorification is futile. The stats bear it out. But we see in the words of Jesus that it's an eternally futile project as well. So how should we live differently then? What's the point of our existence? Well, the Bible makes it very clear, and we see it in the end of the reading that Chris read for us today. We are to live for the glory of God. We exist for the glory of God. Of God. Let me read to you from verse 11 of our reading today in 1 Peter 4. 
He says, so that, in, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The whole reason for living as a Christian, Peter says, is for Jesus and through him the Father to be glorified forever and ever. And it's not just Peter who gets on this train. The whole Bible is full of this sort of language, of our purpose and our reason for being, being for the glorification of God. Let me read to you some Psalms. Psalm 86 verse 12, uh, we read, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Verse, uh, Psalm 115 verse 1, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Isaiah verse 43, uh, chapter 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Our job is to glorify God. Uh, our, our reason for being is to glorify God. Uh, and our job is to glorify him because of who he is and what he's done. The Old Testament is full of verses like this. We see it in the New Testament as well, in the Gospels. Jesus says, you need to live for God's glory, Verses five, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. Why? So they may glorify your Father in heaven. Or John 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus again telling us that the reason that we exist, the reason that he saved us, the reason that he's kept us here on this earth today is to live lives that glorify God. And we see it as well in the rest of the New Testament. Paul's letters, he writes, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, uh, Paul prays this prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why? To the praise and glory of God. This is our purpose. We exist to glorify not ourselves, to make a name not for ourselves, but to glorify and magnify the name of Jesus. As people have reflected on the scriptures, they've come uh, to good ways of summing this up. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, which was written in 1646, I think sums it up well. You may have heard it before. But as it seeks to sum up what the point of our existence is, it asks this question in trying to teach people uh, uh, what the Bible teaches. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that, the, that you give to that question, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The purpose of your life, as the scriptures reveal it, as the Westminster Catechism so uh, helpfully summarises it, is not self-fulfilment. It's not being happy. It's not having joy. 
It's not proving to the world that you're a half-decent human being. It's glorifying God. Which, of course, leads to the question, doesn't it? What does it mean to glorify God and, and how do I do that? Well, I think the meaning is relatively clear that we see that glorifying someone or something is about making them look good. And that is we are to live our lives in such a way that point to the goodness and grace of God. But how? How do we do that? And so I want to finish today with some tips for living a new life focused on God and giving him glory. And there's sort of all sorts of places that I could have gone in scriptures for this, but I thought that actually Peter had a pretty good summary in that reading we read today of the kind of life that uh, we're called to in, in the scriptures which will seek God's glory instead of our own. So let's have a look. Verse 7 of 1 Peter 4, uh, he says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. If we want to live in the kind of way that gives glory to God, uh, Peter actually says the first thing we're going to do is be people of prayer. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Because prayer is the great act of humbling yourself and admitting to yourself that you can't do this life on your own. It's the act of uh, uh, obedience and, and dependence on God. It glorifies God when you pray because you're putting yourself uh, in the place of the humble servant reliant on his power. So if you want to live a life that is glorifying God then you'll be a person of prayer. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually, or in other translations, pray unceasingly. This attitude of prayer is going to be something that soaks our lives if we're seeking to have our lives orientated towards God and his glory. Your purpose is to exist for God's glory. If you want to fulfil it, you need to pray. And you need to pray a lot. Because that's the primary way that we show our humble dependence on him. So, if you're not a regular prayer, start praying. God's not overly concerned with the words you use, rather that you simply say g'day. But also... It is good to get better. And so there are all sorts of books I can recommend uh, on praying if you want to come and talk to me about it afterwards. Uh, The one that I thought uh, worth mentioning, the best book that I've read of late on prayer, is by Tim Keller, and it's a book called Prayer, which makes sense because it's a book about prayer. And that's a great book that gives you not only a theology of prayer but also some practical tips at the end. Uh, And uh, let me commend that too if you want to learn how to pray more and pray better. You might remember those who've been here for a while, our series on prayer where we talked about the acts of prayer. We talked about adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication as being uh, four words that can frame our prayers. And I can talk to you more about that later if you'd like to. And of course we have the Lord's Prayer himself which he taught us not only as a prayer to say Uh, over and over and over again, but also 
as uh, a prayer that teaches us the kind of model for how we might pray. So go to the Lord's Prayer and use that as a launching pad to pray. But whatever you do, pray. For this is the number one uh, posture of the one who knows their life exists to glorify God. Peter gives us other things to do as well. He says in verse 8 of chapter 4, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude, uh, covers over a multitude of sins. When we bring glory to God, when we demonstrate, uh, we, we bring glory to God through demonstrating love for others. And I think we see here, we do that especially when the other person has sinned against us. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's quite easy, isn't it, to love those who uh, are close to us, who uh, are nice to us. But of course, to give God glory, we need to love like God loves. We were God's enemies, but he made us his friends through the death of his son. And so as his friends, we love those who even sin against us because love covers a multitude of sins. God says, you want to live a life that brings him glory, you'll love like that. You'll love like he loves. You'll be the kind of person who both is a part of this community of faith, but also in the other places God has sent you, in your work, in your family life, in the lives of your friends, you'll be known not as a brawler, not as someone who's easily crossed, but as a great lover, one who loves those you interact with deeply, even when they're unkind or nasty or worse to you. Be a person of prayer. Be a person of love. Connected to that, verse 9, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I heard this statistic once, uh, and I've been unable to verify it, but I'm going to go with it anyway, which basically says that in Australia... People are very rarely having others who are not immediate family or extended family into their homes. This is a rare thing that people do today. And I find that statistic hard to believe. But that, I think, is partly because I've been part of a Christian community so long and we're hospitable. That's part of who we are. But it seems to me, and this person who gave the statistic went on to say, that what's happening in Australia is we're building bigger houses with bigger fences uh, and we're, uh, we've got electric gates and electric garage doors so that we can go from our air-conditioned homes into our air-conditioned cars, back out of our driveway, never see our neighbours, go into work, sit in front of a computer screen and get back home and, again, never see anyone and have as few interactions as possible uh, and then we go and have them all on the computer. And the Apostle Peter says, don't be like that. Be hospitable. Be friendly. Be open to those around you. Figure out ways in your home, in your workplace, in your family life, how it is that you can be hospitable, how it is that through your hospitality you can show love, for this glorifies God. When we do it joyfully, that is. The other thing that I find uh, quite challenging when I think about hospitality is I was once told by a friend that 
Uh, it's not hospitable to have people who like you and look after you into your house and give them food. That's basically just being selfish because they look after you, you look after them, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Hospitality involves extending grace and love uh, and food and these sorts of things to those who may never give it back. That's true hospitality. Going above and beyond for those who may never pay it back. This kind of living brings glory to God. Pray, love, as part of that, be hospitable. I think as well as part of loving, Peter says, you need to use your gifts. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If we want to bring glory to God, we need to use the gifts and skills he's given us. And of course, this is the very opposite of the reason many of us choose to use the gifts and skills we've been given, isn't it? Often we want to do things that we're good at so that people will think we're good at them. And they'll go, wow, Chris, you're really good at that. That's amazing. I wish I could be like you. Peter says, use your gifts because God has given them to you and use them in such a way that when you do get praise, you can turn it to God for it is him who has given you the time and the talents to use the gifts that you've been blessed with. Be hospitable, use your gifts. These are great acts of love. Finally, in verse 11, we get three more things. Firstly, we see, he says, we need to be people who watch our words. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Uh, The way we speak, obviously, is a great uh, insight into who we're trying to glorify. Every time the Bible has words like this, be careful about how you speak, and we'll see it when we, do, when we work our way through the book of James in the coming weeks, uh, constantly talking about how our speech matters, I feel very, uh, very challenged because I am a chronic uh, speak first, think second kind of person. Uh, and the Bible says, don't be like that, Chris. It says, think first, speak second. So I have to work hard on that. How we speak matters and the way we speak ought to be God-honouring and ought to point others to God for this is our purpose, to bring him glory. Second, and this sort of ties back in uh, from verse 11, ties back into the start of this, which is to be a person of prayer, a person of prayer who loves others, who is hospitable, a person of prayer who uses their gifts, who watches their words, who relies on God's strength. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Again, we see an antidote to doing things in our own strength for our own glory. And I think we're called here to go above and beyond what we think we're capable of in the way we use our gifts. If we only ever do things we think we can manage, then we're never going to be forced to rely on God's strength to do them, aren't we? Finally, this kind of life, this prayerful, others-focused, deep, loving life is a life that points to Jesus. 
so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. In all of life, we are to point to Jesus. When we're people of prayer, who love others deeply, who show hospitality, who use our gifts, who watch our words, who rely on God's strengths, then this kind of life is the life that points others to Christ. And this is ultimately how we bring the most glory to God. As one theological textbook I have says, the glory of God is the splendour and brilliant beauty that shines through all of the divine attributes, but it is especially evident in the crucified and risen Christ. It's in pointing people to the death and resurrection of Jesus that we see most clearly what God is like. I hope that you will live a life that points to Jesus in all that you do. And in doing so, you'll be fulfilling your purpose of bringing glory to God. As we've worked our way through this series, thinking about living our new lives following Jesus, hopefully you've had your desire reaffirmed to do just that. Or maybe, for the first time ever, you're thinking this is a good idea. That following Jesus is indeed the road to living the life you were created to live. The life of bringing glory to God. When we look at Jesus, when we see in him God's deep love for each of us, we're empowered and enabled to live lives like we were meant to live. And as we do so, we become less and God becomes more as he is glorified through our lives day after day. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.